everyone. This is Alexa Adams-Robertson. Welcome to this episode of Lexington Public Library's Checked Out Podcast. I have another special guest with me this time. Um, if you would like to go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. My name is Cindy Butor. I also work at LPL, and I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, so today we're going to do something a little bit different than what we've done so far in the podcast. Um, Cindy and I are both big graphic novels fans, and we are both huge fans of Brian K. Vaughn specifically. Um, And so we are going to be talking about three Brian K. Vaughn series, but we're going to limit it to just the first volume of each of those series. So we're going to be discussing Why the Last Man, Volume 1, Unmanned, Saga, Volume 1, and the first volume of Paper Girls, which is his newest series that has come out. Um, So if you're interested in any of those, this is not a spoiler-free podcast, but we will limit our spoilers to just the first volumes of each of these series. Um, So the library does have all three of these series um, available to check out. Uh, Why the Last Man is currently complete. So if you wanted to just go ahead and start reading that, you could finish it. Saga is currently ongoing. There are six volumes released right now. And Paper Girls, I believe the second volume is coming out pretty soon. I think Um, before the end of the year. Yes. So just the first volume of that is available so far. So we're going to start with the one that is actually finished. We're going to start with Why the Last Man. Um, So the first volume of Why the Last Man, we meet our hero, whose name is Yorick, and his pet monkey, Ampersand. Um, so, Zindi, do you want to talk a little bit about, about, like, the main, like, horrible cataclysmic event that propels our plot from Why the Last Man? <laughs> yes. So the premise of Why the Last Man is that one day, out of the blue, every single mammal with a Y chromosome dies. Horrifically. Mm-hmm. It's not like they disappear and everything's okay. It's that they die and it's really graphic. It's like and a gross. really gross virus, basically, like with yeah. lots of blood. We, I'll, I'll go ahead and say Brian K. Vaughn's work typically not for like the faint of heart. No. The, it gets a little gory. It um, does. So. Um, and, but there is one man mm-hmm. and one male monkey left, and that man is Yurik and his monkey Ampersand. Right. Um, and so. York, you know, you would think that he would want to go and try to figure out, why is he the last man alive? Why did this happen? Mm -hmm. Maybe he should repopulate the earth and everything like that. No, he wants to find his girlfriend, Beth, Mm -hmm. who he just proposed to while she was away in Australia on a research trip. And nothing is going to stop him from doing that. And it doesn't matter that literally the U.S. government (laughs) wants him to do something better with his time. And he has this amazing woman called Agent 355 traveling with him going, you need to do this, you need to do that. Oh, no, he's going to let everyone know he needs to find Beth. Mm -hmm. Also, he's the last man alive. And uh, he's going to make trouble. Right. And his his very just horribly behaved monkey... Uh, York, York's basically just like the biggest doofus that you could ever imagine. Mm-hmm. He's an amateur magician. Illusionist. Um, illusionist. Illusionist. <laughs> Very Job from Arrested Development. He's, he likes to hang upside down in his straitjacket and perform like escape artist tricks. Um, and so basically, so I guess we should say his mother is a state representative. Yes. Um, so From Ohio. From Ohio, yeah. So whenever the event happens, um, there's kind of a time jump. And so then we're, we catch back up with York about two months later after the incident where all the ma- male beings on the planet die. Mm-hmm. And he's traveling to the capital to see his mom, mm-hmm. who then like kind of sets him up with Agent 355, who's going to protect him. And they're supposed to go and travel to meet a character named Dr. Amy Mann, who is going to basically do experiments on Yorick and figure out why he didn't die and why Ampersand didn't die um, and kind of see if there's any way... Because, I mean, not only is this devastating in that all males passed away, now we have to figure out how we're going to keep going as a race. Like, how are we going mm-hmm. to continue populating the Earth? Well, like, every species has this problem, too. Right. Because it literally is all of the male, like, rats and mm-hmm. cows and dogs. So pretty much as, like... As long as any one of these species can live, that's as long as they're going to be on the Earth. Exactly. So the clock is really ticking for everyone, except York. Mm-hmm. He's the only one without any sense of urgency. He just doesn't care. He doesn't care at all. And that's one of my favorite things about Why the Last Man, is it's like, 
a lot of things happen to Yorick. Mm-hmm. Like, he just kind of gets dropped into all of these situations. He's very much an everyman. Mm-hmm. Um, he do, like you said, he doesn't have any real sense of urgency. He doesn't. He, he wants to go find Beth. He wants to go to Australia and find his fiance or ex fiance or a strange fiance or however you really want to look at it. It's very it's very vague their she, relationship. She'd really say yes, like literally. <laughs> As men were starting to die, he said, will you marry me? And he thinks she was going to say yes. On the phone. On the phone. Well, it was on the phone. He proposed so to her So he doesn't phone. even know. Like, And it, sound, it kind of sounded like she was going to say something bad, too. She was like, I know you don't want to talk about this, mm-hmm. but... And then he interrupts her. So we don't even know if Beth really is his fiance or wants to be his fiance. But that's not going to stop York. Right, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean... We were talking a little bit. I, I really like York as a character. He's not your favorite. No. Um, and I think that is because he's kind of just, I mean, he just messes up everything. He does. And he's he's kind of a victim of Brian K. Vaughan needing to propel the plot, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's a great device for propelling the plot because he's like, gets pushed out of trains. He lands in, like, these communes of women. And mm-hmm. he just has all sorts of adventures. Even in the first volume, I mean, it's like, it goes from zero to 100 real fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I usually like the characters that get stuff done. Like, I love Agent... 355. Mm-hmm. Um, she is one of the other main characters. She's part of the Culper Ring, mm-hmm. which is like, it's not quite a secret society because it's in the history books, but it's like a society that supports the U.S. government and does kind of covert things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things she has to do is, you know, get York from point A to B to try to keep humanity going. Um, but she's also just really capable. If someone pulls a gun on York because he's mouthed off on them, she's going to disarm them. Um, if York is freaking out, she knows exactly what to say to him. Um, if someone is going to try to steal their things, she can either stop them. She's she's very capable, and I just love her to pieces. <laughs> One of my favorite things about Brian K. Vaughan is not only the sheer amount of capable women characters Mm -hmm. he has in every single thing he writes. It's also, he always uses a very diverse cast of characters, which I super appreciate. Agent 355 is an African-American woman. Mm -hmm. Um, Alana and Marco, who are the protagonists of uh, Saga, are, they're both from different planets, but they're Mm -hmm. both obviously not Caucasian characters. That's true. Um, And, I mean, the cast of Paper Girls as well. Um, Mm -hmm. It's also got an African-American and an Asian-American character in the main main cast. And Dr. Mann is Asian-American. She is, yeah. Um, and I think that's just so cool because, I mean, you don't see a lot of that in comics typically. No. Um, <laughs> and so just to see somebody trying to go out of their way and be inclusive, even in, and especially in a science fiction fantasy sort of uh, situation, I feel like you get even less of it than a lot of times. Yeah, that's true. A lot of people complain about, you know, you go into the fantasy realms and you should be able to include every single person, every single kind of person. Mm-hmm. And it's usually, you know, like, slim Caucasian men and women. Yeah. Um, and it's just really disappointing to everyone, because if you have all of imagination for you, you think you'd be able to imagine people that don't look white. Exactly. <laughs> it reminded me a lot of whenever um, the movie adaption of Ransom Riggs' Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children came out, mm-hmm. and somebody interviewed Tim Burton. He was just like, oh, well, it's set in Europe. In the... And it's just like, Tim Burton, you've got a girl with a mouth on the back of her head. Like, <laughs> that's, that's no excuse. It really is And Brian K. Vaughn is one of those rare people, I think, who's just like, it, he, doesn't, he doesn't try and make up excuses. He just puts diverse people in his books, Mm -hmm. which is so easy. (laughs) It's so simple to just make Alana and Marco not Caucasian. It's so easy to give Yorick all of these diverse, smart, capable women Mm -hmm. to, to, oh gosh, Yorick is just such a, (laughs) such a mess up of a character. But he Um, has these women. (laughs) He does. He does. And uh, another thing that I really thought was interesting about why The Last Man, whenever it started, is that they, they really use actual facts and statistics to kind of back up how mm-hmm. everyone is affected by the catastrophic event because it's like you lose so many people in the event because of the huge amount of number of men who are pilots and who are like bus drivers and all because these are the male-dominated professions. So it's like all of these planes just fell out of the sky mm-hmm. because men were flying them. Yeah, it was like the, one of the women... 
I think it was actually in issue six, which mm-hmm. isn't officially in this first volume, but she said something like 5,000 planes mm-hmm. were in the air, and almost all of them were piloted by men, because mm-hmm. men dominate the, the profession. And uh, Brian K. Vaughn just keeps pointing this out. Like um, We like to think that we have like a really equal society that promotes men and women equally, but if you really think about which like professions would be decimated if all the men just died or disappeared, you start to realize that they control so much. Right. Um, it was the same thing with the U.S. government. The government basically came to a standstill, um, and it was because there were, what, like 12 women in the Senate and <laughs> yeah. 47 in the House? Exactly. Um, and they were trying to figure out, what do you do yeah. um, when everyone in the government is gone. Yeah. Do you make a new system? Do you use the old system, but, like, try to beef it up really fast? Do mm-hmm. you use executive orders? What do you do? It's it's a really interesting, like, practical question. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know. It's it's kind of like a thought exercise almost. So it's just like, what, what do you do? I mean, the professions that are female-dominated, I mean, the library would be fine. Yeah, we'd be great. <laughs> We're covered here, like, and teachers. Mm -hmm. Teachers is another female dominant. But it's just like, in an event of a catastrophic, in the event of a catastrophic thing like this happening, those aren't crucial positions for maintaining a society. Mm -hmm. Um, And the ones that are really crucial, government. I mean, they're they're gone. And it's just there's so many. If you watch any episodes of Samantha B, it's like mm-hmm. <laughs> there's so many men in yep. government <laughs> positions. And it's just like they would all be gone immediately. And what would you do? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's one of the most fun things about reading Why is seeing all of the women who are left behind kind of banding together and having to restructure everything, mm-hmm. which is something that they've never had an opportunity to do. No. Um, and they do grapple with that a lot. You have, um, like, the main bad guys in the series are the Amazons, which are women that sort of um, get their, sort of try to act like the old Greek Amazons, you know, the ones that would cut off one of their breasts, and mm-hmm. they would live in a female-only society and just use men for the, the very, very, very essentials. Mm-hmm. Um, and... They think that, you know, this is what was supposed to happen. Mother Earth has risen up and destroyed all men because she wants us to destroy the patriarchy. Exactly. Um, And they're very militant about it. They destroy sperm banks. They do. Which is not an intelligent thing to do, honestly. (laughs) Not if you want your species to continue. Yeah, that kind of messed (laughs) up the whole propagation thing. Um, So, yeah, and... uh, it's important to note as well that Yorick does have um, a sister, yes. um, Hero. They're both named for Shakespeare characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has banded together with the Amazons in kind of the two-month time skip that we have in this first volume. Um, and so Yorick has a very close relationship to two women who are kind of at the forefront of these two different kind of groups that have banded together in the in the wake of the event. So he's got his mother, who's currently trying to rebuild a government, mm-hmm. and then he's got his sister, Hero, who's cut off her left breast and is chasing him with a bow and arrow. Um, yeah. So it's really interesting to see, like, two members of the same family going against each other like that um, mm-hmm. when, you, when you would think that they would kind of fall more towards the same. Very different family <laughs> members yeah. um, in, in York's family, uh, since York is like the opposite of those two. He couldn't care less about anything, let alone being militant or forming a new government. Yeah. He has no stake in any of it. Oh, he doesn't, he doesn't care at all. Right. Um, he only like vaguely referenced it like, oh, I just want to, you know, rebuild the population the old fashioned way. <laughs> Me and Beth. Classic and his, Yorick. And, and like everyone is just like, genetically, that won't work. Yeah, no. It's that's, a bottleneck and it's going to go really, really badly. That's not helpful. It's like, have you ever heard of zoo animals? Like <sighs> you, you have to have diversity and the species. Mm. And so, yeah, I mean... It's nowhere near the level, we'll get to Paper Girls in a little bit, mm-hmm. it's nowhere near the level of just sheer confusion and just, like, oh, yes. nonsense that is Paper Girls, um, yes. which, I mean, we haven't read any more Paper Girls. We've just read the first volume, so we're just gonna, we're just as confused as everyone in yeah. regards to Paper Girls now. I will <laughs> say, Why the Last Man, it starts with this huge confusing, confusing event, and it's really a road trip story. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. at its heart. Um, and I think that that's something that Brian K. Vaughn kind of has 
without all of his stuff is just here's this normal person wanting a normal thing and mm-hmm. here's this just horrible circumstance that they've been thrown into and they're still trying to get that thing. For Yorick, it's yes, all of the men have died and all of the male animals have died. He really just wants to get married to his girlfriend, Beth. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's that's really his main driving focus. Um, <laughs> and so he's, like, he's got this agent, 355, that's been saddled to him, who she's not thrilled about having to protect oh, no. York. Um, and he's got Dr. Mann, who wants to do experiments on him and his monkey um, to see if she can help the species survive. And he's just like, all right, guys, like, I'll hang out with you. But, I mean, end game here is we need to get to Australia to find my girlfriend. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's what makes Brian K. Vaughn so accessible to people is it's like, even if you don't read comic books, um, I mean, there it's just such a traditional literary, like, goal um, mm-hmm. in all of his books. It's, here's this guy, here's his, here's the thing that he wants, his driving force throughout the story, the story. And it's very self-contained. I mean, Why the Last Man is only 10 volumes. Mm-hmm. Um, you can read that in a day. I mean, comic comics really don't take that long to, no. to read. <laughs> there's, and there's lots of pretty pictures to help you along the way. Yeah. I always try and sell comic books to people, and I, I try and sell Brian K. Vaughn a lot because I think that he's really accessible to people who do read novels. Oh, yeah, I would definitely agree. Like, a lot of people that I meet, too, are just like, why would I read a comic? They're for kids. They're about superheroes, which is completely... Not true. Do not read Brian K. Vaughn if you're a kid. Oh, no, no. <laughs> but Brian K. Vaughn is, is really more of one of the, the literary comics writers out he there. Because he's developing characters, and they all have their own different viewpoints and voices. He is world-building to an amazing extent. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really believable, the worlds he builds. Um, and, he ha- and he also goes with archetypes and with tropes, and he has tons of classical references in his works. Um, and it really just does engage you intellectually. And since, um, like Alexa said, this is a journey book, you are once again learning that the journey is what matters and not the destination. Um, so you get to go and grow with all of these characters. Um, so I would definitely recommend Brian K. Vaughn for mm-hmm. the, the new or the hesitant comics readers. It's totally worth your while. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so jumping off of world building, yes. I think that we should dive into Saga. Personally, my favorite Brian K. Vaughn, it's not complete yet, so I might change my mind. Um, we were talking a little, I won't say any of my clauses of when I'll bail on this comic book if and when a character <laughs> departs. Um, I would. I would do it unhesitatingly. But it is so, so, so good. Mm-hmm. So Saga is the story of a family. Um, it is the story of Olana, who is a soldier in the Landfallian army, mm-hmm. and Marco, who is a prisoner, um, and he is from the planet Wreath, which is a moon that orbits Landfall. Mm-hmm. And the two people on Landfall and Wreath have been at war for as long as anyone can remember. And Alana and Marco meet each other in a prison, and they fall in love. And Saga Volume 1 begins with Alana giving birth to their child, mm-hmm. um, Hazel. And so... <laughs> And as in Why the Last Man, where they have that huge catastrophic event. This is kind of the catastrophic event for Saga, mm-hmm. um, because nobody wants this baby to exist. Um, and so the minute that Hazel is born, Alana and Marco have to start running for their lives um, while trying to be parents and trying to figure out how to be new parents. Um, my favorite thing about Saga is I read an interview with Brian K. Vaughn saying that he wrote Saga um, after he became a dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and he really wanted to just tell the story of this family and uh, the story of being a parent because it was something that he was going through. And that's really what Saga is. is it's a story of Alana and Marco trying to figure out how to be a couple, how to be parents, and how to raise their daughter. Um, and so the, the main characters really are here, Alana, Marco, and Hazel, their, their baby. Um, we also meet a lot of really fun side characters in Saga. Yeah. Um, Prince Robot the Fourth, Who is a robot. <laughs> and he has a TV head. And he is a robot. Thing. He's <laughs> such a jerk, but I love him. Oh, he's awful. And um, <laughs> the Will, who is a bounty hunter. And he has been commissioned to kill Hazel, the, the baby. No, he actually needs to kill Alana and Marco. That's right, that's right. But he is supposed to, for some secretive reason, take Hazel back to the woman that hires him. And she, that's it. That's and it. she's supposed to be unharmed, and we don't know why yet. Because Hazel is referred to as an abomination, and she's not supposed to exist. Right. So that's part of one of the many, many little things that you want to figure out as you keep reading Saga. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, and then 
there are three kind of, we follow those three story arcs throughout this first volume. Um, Alana and Marco are on the planet Cleave, which is where they met in the, in the landfall prison. Um, and they get a babysitter while they're on yes. Cleave. Um, Isabel, who's a great character. She is a ghost of a teenage girl who was killed during the war on Cleave. She is missing her lower half. Mm-hmm. Um, as we said, you Brian, can see the intestines. Brian Kavon's a little gory sometimes. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, Fiona Staples is the illustrator of Saga, and she is a beautiful illustrator. She does an amazing job. And Brian Kavon has said that the story grew because of her ability. Mm-hmm. He started playing off of the things he knew that she could do because what she was doing was so amazing and so cool. I will say, I was speaking with one of the other librarians at Eastside this morning, and she was she was asking me, how are you going to do a podcast about comic books? Like, don't people need to see the comics? And I was like, eh, not really, especially not with Brian K. Vaughn. I wish I could show you some of the artwork for Saga. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish that you could see it <laughs> while we were talking about it. If you have the book in front of you, you should open it and look at it right now. Because Fiona Staples' artwork is absolutely breathtaking. I mean, she does such beautiful landscapes. Mm-hmm. And she really, um, she does a great job of capturing emotion on characters' faces, I think, is one of her strong points. She's also really good at just making people that look different. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds like something that should be basic, but it's not. Like, especially in comics, when there's so many people to draw, like, even if you're, like, a really talented illustrator, they just kind of end up looking alike if you do it for so long. But all of her people look so amazingly different. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's just she's just so talented. She's even drawing the Archie comic now. Oh my god, and, and she, it's so good. It's really good. It's so good. Read Archie if you aren't reading Archie. You should absolutely read the reboot of it. <laughs> so good. It's very, very good. Um, so, yeah, and I, I guess I should point out as well that Marco has horns and Alana has wings. Um, that's kind of what their people call each other. Um, they're Moonies, landf- Moonies and, wings. and wings. Yeah. Um, so, and Marco does speak a different language than Alana. He actually has rings that are translator rings. So Marco, mm-hmm. Marco and Alana can understand each other, which is something that kind of comes in handy later on mm-hmm. um, in the series. Uh, but I will say, um, after Alana and Marco meet Isabel, um, I, there still hasn't been a payoff to this, but, so the way that they get Isabel as a babysitter to Hazel is they allow Isabel to bind herself Mm -hmm. to their baby, um, I'm bringing that up with no real point. I, I thought it was interesting at the time and we still haven't had anything come from it, so I'm just kind of wondering if it was kind of a red herring at this point. (laughs) It, it might be because, like... Like I said, I don't know any more than you know, obviously. Right. But, I mean, Isabella is also a great character. Oh, yeah. Um, she's, she actually knows how to take care of children, which Alana and Marco desperately <laughs> need. They have no idea what they're doing. They don't, so thank God for Isabel. Um, and she also does, like, bring in more directly one of the issues that Brian Kavon is addressing, which is racism and bigotry. Mm-hmm. Because Isabel... Like, they call her people when they're dead the horrors, which come on, that's not nice. As she points Pretty out. Pretty offensive. <laughs> um, but they're really just the original indigenous members of the planet mm-hmm. that um, Landfall and Wreath have overtaken in their war. Because that's what Landfall and Wreath do. They don't want to damage their own planets, so they go into other planets, fight there, like conscript people, and let them do their dirty work while still being able to be like, oh, I hate those moonies, oh, I hate those wings. Yeah. And then just kind of spreading the conflict and the hate and the elitism and the bigotry Throughout the galaxy. Exactly. It's, I mean, I hope that some people, if you're listening and you don't read comic books and you are you think that it's just all Superman and Batman and all that kind of stuff, I hope that you're listening yeah. because there are some very deep topics that get covered in this book about people from other planets having children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's a lot deeper than it appears on the surface. I will say probably one of the most interesting characters in the book and probably the silliest is Prince Robot the Fourth. Okay. I say that he's silly because he has a TV for a head. Um I will say, I mean, he you have to take him seriously. He's kind of a terrifying character. Oh, he um is. he he is basically his wife is expecting um their first child mm-hmm. um and he has basically been banished by his father 
um, until he goes out and completes this task. So he's not allowed to come back and see his wife and his newborn child again um, until he he makes his father proud. And it's like... Basically until he kills a newborn child. Yeah. He can only see his child after he's murdered another one. A lot of people <laughs> really, really, really don't want Alana and Marco and Hazel to <laughs> have a nice life together. A surprising amount. Yeah, it's a, it's a bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, so... In this first volume, you see those three stories kind of intertwining. The Will, who is the bounty hunter, kind of, I mean, he's focused a little bit, and then he pretty quickly loses loses interest. So yeah, uh, the Will meets this little girl on this really horrible planet, um, and it really kind of sidetracks him pretty quick. Um, he also is kind of running around with his ex-girlfriend, <laughs> The stalk. Um, bounty hunter slash freelancer. They call them freelancers. They do call them freelancers. Um, stalk's pretty cool. Um, she's a giant spider woman. Yeah, she's great. <laughs> she's a really cool character. Um, again, though, trying to get Marco and Alana. Um, yeah. As is everyone, pretty much, in mm-hmm. the series. Um, I don't know. I mean, the whole first volume of this book is just so fast-paced. Um, it kind of reminiscent of why, honestly, um, in that it's like, here's this event, go, and everyone all just kind of goes at the same time to accomplish these different goals that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, a really great character, um, one of my favorite characters in the series is Lion Cat. Yes, Lion Cat. Lion Cat is really Lion. great. Um, she is the Will's psychic. Um, she is basically a giant cat who can tell when anyone is lying. Um, all she says is lying, yeah. and she says it whenever people are lying. She's pretty self-explanatory, yeah. um, but surprisingly a great character. Mm-hmm. Um, you go into it thinking, eh, whatever, this giant cat. No, she's awesome. Mm-hmm. She, she's she's much-needed comic relief. She also looks like one of those hairless cats, but she is green. So, I mean, like, which I'm telling you only because lying cat is amazing. It's true. They, even her font, it's a different font than everyone else's. So every time she says lying in my head, it's kind of like drawn out and easy, like lying. <laughs> right? <laughs> She's so great. I will say as well, another thing that I really love about this is it, it is sci-fi and it's really like space opera kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very like like naturalist at the same time. Like they're all on these cool planets and there's like snow and mountains and all this stuff. And at the end of the novel or at the end of this first volume, there's a giant tree spaceship. Yeah. It's literally a tree that happens to be a spaceship. And it's so cool. That was kind of the moment for me when I was reading this the first time. I was like, that's awesome. I mean, it's the whole thing is really good and it's beautiful and it's cool. But whenever they climbed into that tree spaceship, um, and I should say as well, it's the entire series is narrated by Hazel, mm-hmm. um, their infant daughter, and so she she narrates the series in this cute little like handwritten font. She kind of pops in every now and then with commentary on things that are going on. So apparently, Hazel makes it to some point in her future. I mean, she says that she makes it to old age. Yeah. So like. I assume, you know, a 20-year-old isn't saying, I made it to old age unless life got really rough. <laughs> I just don't trust Brian K. Vaughn. I don't, I don't trust him. He, he's tricky. <laughs> That's fair enough, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know what he considers old age. I don't know if Hazel's lying. Hazel has done some twists and turns in her narration throughout mm-hmm. the series, um, past this first one. Um, and so, I mean, any, anything goes. As far as a Brian K. Vaughn series. <laughs> That's true. Because another thing that Brian K. Vaughn does is he makes you think certain things are true. Like, he makes you think that the freelancers are going to be awful. Will's going to be awful. He's a bounty hunter. He's going to kill two parents with a newborn child and steal that child. But his first story arc is where he goes to the planet Sextillion, which is a sex planet. This book, this series, is also very Mm sex-heavy, so if you're not really into that, eh. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) The other two books, I mean, Paper Girls, the only one volume is out, um, Mm -hmm. but Why the Last Man, really not as as graphic. This is his most, I think, sex-filled story to date. You're going to see some nudity in this. Yes, you definitely are. But when he's at this planet, obviously going to have sex there, um, he meets a little girl who is six years old, and she has been sold into the sex slave. Um, and instead of doing what 
so many other clients would do, he kills her handler and tries to rescue her, um, proving that, you know, even when you're a bad person, when you're a freelancer, a bounty hunter, that you can still have certain things that you think are unacceptable, um, and you can still have hidden depths to you. And that's mm-hmm. what Brian K. Vaughn does to all of his characters. So when you think somebody is good, it turns out that they're not. When you think someone is irredeemable, um, it turns out they're not. Um, the Stock is another good example because she is also a bounty hunter, and she does injure, injure Marco pretty grievously. Mm-hmm. Um, but then she gets killed, um, and that sets off a whole arc for the will. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of get to learn what she offered him and the world as a person. Um, And so that's part of why you can't trust Brian K. Vaughn either, because he rips your heart out. He's untrustworthy. You can't. You just absolutely cannot take anything at face value that he tells you. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of my favorite moments with this, you only see this dog for such a short amount of time, but she made such an impression on me. I mean, she is a giant spider lady. Um, But it was... She was basically telling Alana to hand over Hazel to her, and Alana's like, I'll, I'll kill this baby. I will kill my baby before I hand her over to you, mm-hmm. because I don't know what you're going to do with her. Yeah. And the stuff's like, jeez, lady. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, all right. Like, I'm a giant spider bounty hunter, but that's a little much. <laughs> like, you're going to tase your baby in the head. Uh-huh. Um, it's, it's a really great... And, I mean, like you said, that's just what Brian K. Vaughn does. He really gives you these characters, and you automatically assume one thing, and they all are just... They're just... he write such complex characters Mm -hmm. they all have they're just so fully fleshed out and drawn in three dimensions it's absolutely incredible Mm -hmm. and that's something you can look forward to in the other volumes not going to go into details Mm -hmm. but like all the characters change you learn things about all the characters they they really start sticking with you and you get really emotionally invested in them even ones that are there for maybe two pages yeah um but it's it's just the way they're written, and it's also part of the way that Fiona Staples um, draws. They just they really get to you. I will say this is going to be a, a slight spoiler alert for future volumes. There's a tiny harp seal man, and his name is Goose. He wears overalls, and he has a giant walrus horse. So if that doesn't sell you on Saga, yeah. I don't really know what will. <laughs> Because Goose is the absolute best character oh, he I've ever seen. <laughs> he's he's so good. He's not in this, and I'm very sorry for bringing that up. It's not in the first volume. It's but volume two. It's, it's, volume two. it's really, Goose is really important. He's a great character. Everyone should read it. Fiona Staples, the way that she draws that little harp seal is just, oh, yeah. it's, I can barely look at him. He's so cute. Yeah. <laughs> he's the best. <laughs> I will say as well, um, another cool thing about Saga um, Fiona Staples' cover art is so good. Mm -hmm. And I know there was a big, like, to-do whenever this first volume came out because the cover, it's Alana, Marco, and Hazel, and uh, Alana's breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. And everyone's, like, all up in arms because they're showing breastfeeding on the cover of a comic book. And one of my favorite things is when they release the deluxe first edition of the comic. It's literally just a close-up of it. (laughs) (laughs) Best is the absolute best. If that doesn't make you love Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples, then I don't know what will because that's hilarious. (laughs) It's <laughs> like, you don't like this breastfeeding? Take that. <laughs> it's like mega breastfeeding. <laughs> so good. He does that. He's going to do that with everything that people get up in arms with yeah. in every volume. Especially so. if it's something that is as innocuous as feeding your baby. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. come on. Yeah. Come on, comic book guys. <laughs> oh. the, the first volume of Saga is a ride. It really is. And I, I love... Marco and Alana so, so much. They're such wonderful characters. You really root for them immediately. I mean, like I said, they, the book starts with Alana giving birth to their baby. And it's just so... The, their dialogue is so weird and touching. And they're just a couple of dorks, really. And they're a tiny little baby with her little horns and tiny wings. Mm-hmm. It's so good. It's, I mean, it's really just a story of a family mm-hmm. in space. It happens to be in space. Yeah. All, um, I mean, a bunch of different families, really, because, I mean, mm-hmm. Prince Robot has his wife and his unborn child. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I mean, the Will's by himself, but, I mean. But he kind of, like, you know that the Will and the Stock had a relationship. And exactly. it turns out that it may have been more serious than he played it off with initially. The Will has a <laughs> lot going on mm-hmm. inside. Yeah. <laughs> he keeps a lot hidden. But, I mean, the minute he's he sees that little girl, I mean, you kind of start to 
to understand the will a little bit better. And he really cares about Lion Cat a lot. Oh, he does. Oh, he loves that cat so much. He calls it his sidekick, and he's mm-hmm. like kind of plays it off. But he really, really cares about his pet, which mm-hmm. should tell you a lot about the kind of guy he is, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so, going off of Saga and into Paper Girls, which is Brian K. Vaughn's newest venture... Um, I'm not really sure how coherently I can describe Paper Girls, to be honest. Do you want to give it a try? I will try, because Paper (laughs) Girls is crazy. It really is. It's bonkers. Okay, but I think, like, the simplest way I can describe Paper Girls is it is about these three girls that deliver papers. They're Paper Girls, which I did not immediately flash to when I heard the title. I don't know why, but Hmm. they're about uh, four girls who deliver papers. It is the 80s. I think it's like 1988 or something like that. Somewhere around there. 1988, November 1st, the day after Halloween. And these four girls are going out to deliver papers. Um, They decide to band together because there's teenagers out there who are going to give them crap because they're girls. Um, And then along the way, they happen to meet aliens, and uh, some in a different alien group decides to, like, basically capture their town and ride in on giant dinosaurs. Uh, Turns out that these two aliens are actually time travelers who may not be aliens, but may instead be, like, either humans way in the future are mutated humans, some of them are teenagers, some of them are old people and they're having a generational war, and the paper girls are just caught up in the middle of it. I'm a little in the weeds with paper girls, I have to be honest. It's it's all, I loved it, don't get me wrong. I mean, this first volume is spectacular to look at. It's beautifully illustrated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the characters immediately. Um, but I have no clue what's going on. Um, it's a good spooky Halloween read if you're looking for a Halloween book. This is really good. Um, and I also have been recommending this to people who liked Stranger Things. Mm -hmm. Um, it's got a very Stranger Things vibe, like E.T. sort of Mm -hmm. 80s kid adventure with no parents sort of thing. That's, that's really what it reminds me of. Um, you're following Erin, um, who is the protagonist and it starts with her having a really weird nightmare about her little sister being dead. And she's in school, and, like, there's a demon, and she's talking to an astronaut at the beginning. Christina McCullough. Right. (laughs) Um, Who, I I hope that that's significant later. Um, I can't imagine that it wouldn't be, since it's Brian K. Vaughn. Well, like, the dream might be significant later, but... Mm -hmm. um, Remind me her name again, Krista? No, it's not Krista. Erin is the protagonist, yeah. So Erin actually likes to do references, because Christina McCullough is one of the people that died in the Challenger explosion. Mm. Um, And then she also, she gets very badly injured, because uh, the kids play with a gun, because they think it will save them from these strangers that have attacked them. Right. Um, And the gun ends up going off, and Aaron gets shot, and she almost dies. And when she's, you know, almost dying, she dreams about ice skating with Ronald Reagan while um, the U.S. and the Soviet Union's um, bombs explode overhead. The 80s were fraught. Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of stuff going on for teenagers to be upset about. (laughs) I think that's kind of what he's doing here, where he's, like, he wants to point out because like when we look in the past, we like to we like to look at it with with rose tinted glasses. Mm-hmm. Um, the eighties weren't my past, but they were other people's, and people do say, "Oh, things are better then." We had this and that, but like there was this undercurrent of anxiety and danger, um, and that's what Aaron is living with. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, it's like you said, it's not my past either. I was I was born at the tail end of the eighties, yeah. so it's just kind of like I. Just, Sure, Ronald Reagan. And <laughs> I know who that is. Exactly. I mean, I just, uh, but I mean, yeah, I mean, you hear people talk about the Cold War and like the anxiety that was kind of pervasive in that time. And I, mm-hmm. I feel like that's a lot of kind of what Brian K. Vaughn is playing off of. 
Um, maybe, maybe that's what the, the alien time-traveling humans are doing. Because I didn't explain these time-traveling alien humans very well because it's hard to. <laughs> it's really hard to explain But there's, yeah. there's one group, and this is the group that they meet initially, um, and they're supposed to be teenagers, but they've been, like, deformed. Like, they, they got big old bumps on their skin. Mm-hmm. Um, and weird eyes. And weird eyes. And they're all dressed in, like, bandages and stuff. But they're teenagers from the future. And they're kind of rebelling against this older generation, which, like, the face of it is this really old guy with a beard and a public enemy T-shirt on. Um, and so maybe that's kind of what he's playing off with the Cold War between teenagers and adults, they're at a they're at a literal standoff because teenagers will eventually become adults, and adults will have to depend on teenagers when they become very elderly and infirm. Um, so maybe that's a really good maybe thought. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's what this book is. That's a good thought. I mean, we have no clue. We don't know. Um, <laughs> it's like we said, it's crazy. It's a really interesting first volume. Um, I like all the Apple symbolism in it. Mm-hmm. Um, the old guy is wearing an Apple Records shirt. One of the teen girls from the 80s at one point picks up something with a Mac, an mm-hmm. Apple computer symbol on it. She's like, it's an Apple. Um, and, of course, she has no idea what it is. Um, it's fascinating. I don't have any. And I will say, at the very end, um, Brian came on is really good at cliffhangers. Um, and so the ending of this volume is here's Aaron and Tiffany and Mac, three of the four paper girls. KJ is missing. Mm -hmm. There's a fourth one gone. And then an older person, like I would say she's probably in her 20s or so, is what it looks like to me, um, Mm -hmm. who has an iPhone in her pocket visibly, Mm -hmm. um, comes up to them and says that her name is Aaron Tiang, which is the name of the protagonist. Um, And so that... I think that gives a little bit of credence to your Cold War between ages. So I'm wondering if maybe Aaron from the future, who's going to come back and now be interacting with the three that we, who knows where KJ ended up. There's a lot of time travel that goes on in Mm -hmm. this first volume. So I'm wondering if maybe future Aaron and past Aaron are going to be kind of emblematic of the whole interactions between ages, Mm -hmm. that whole Cold War Cold War between ages that we were talking about. Um, it's going to be really fascinating to see where this goes. Yeah, she's even going to be, like, she's going to be a millennial. So this could be a whole thing about battle between generations. It's true. Because what um, the book explicitly says when they fall through to the future is it flashes 1999. Mm-hmm. So if it started in 1988 and flashes to 1999, they were 11 years older. They started out at 12, I think. Mm-hmm. So she's 23. She's a 20-something. Um, but I think that's really interesting because she does have an iPod prominently in her pocket. And I don't remember in 1999 iPods being that prominent. No. I don't no. think that they were. No. I, I don't think I had an iPod until, gosh, I mean, it was probably like late high school, like 2007, 2008, somewhere around there. I think I think it was like early two thousand, so people yeah. started having more iPods. They so maybe, started getting popular. So maybe this is only like a five year skip, but that could be significant because the girls have picked up things that look like Apple products in the past. Mm-hmm. So maybe they have inadvertently affected their own future. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. It's a really I don't know why there's so much Apple symbolism in this. It's really interesting to me. Why not? Um, sure, why not? Uh, yeah, it's it's going to be really interesting. This is a really good one um, if you're interested in getting started on comic books. I mean, this this volume's out now, and the second one's coming out, so you can kind of get on it before there are spoilers everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. It'd probably be real easy to spoil Saga or uh, Why the Last Man for yourself if you weren't careful, yeah. um, because they've both been out for a little while. Um, so if you wanted to kind of get on at the start of one. And this is going to be a really interesting one. Um, mm-hmm. I keep opening, I've got the book here in front of me, I keep opening to one page, and it's a man in full armor with a laser beam sword on the back of a walking bird dinosaur saying the words scruddy teenagers. <laughs> um, and I feel like that really sums up this book. Uh, <laughs> no, that's legitimate. <laughs> it's, it's so weird. And it's so good. Everything that Brian K. Vaughn does, it's 
so very different from the last thing while still kind of maintaining that thread that he consistently uses of here's this normal person, they're thrown into these fantastic circumstances while still trying to just go about their lives. Mm -hmm. What happens next? I mean, with Y, you've got Yorick, who just wants to find his fiance. All the men die. Saga, it's just this family trying to get by and raise their child, and they're suddenly being hunted by everyone in the galaxy. And then these paper girls are just trying to deliver papers the morning after Halloween. And all of a sudden, there's time travelers and dinosaurs and themselves coming from the future. Yeah, that was literally all they wanted to do, to deliver papers. Yep. <laughs> Didn't really get very far with that. Um, that that was over with pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it's wonderful. The artwork is great. I'd like with all of Brian K. Vaughn's, he he collaborates with such wonderful artists. Oh, he does. Um, and it, they're really just like a joy to to look at. I mean, it's really kind of the best of both worlds when you read a Brian. We're just like mm-hmm. this is like the Brian K. Vaughn like. <laughs> praising our um he's wonderful he's a wonderful writer if you're interested in getting into comic books at all if you have any interest in trying one out i would highly recommend any of his work um yeah and he has a bunch of different stuff out there too uh he has a series called ex machina which is about a man he's a politician and he gets the power to control machines Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Another thread of normal <laughs> dude, and then something super weird happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, another good thing about Brian K. Vaughn, which we were talking about a little bit before we started recording, is his work has endings. It does. Which is kind of rare with comic books. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I mean, there are lots of standalone comic series, and there are comic series that do have endings. But comic writers love to just keep on going, um, which is great, and it's really good if you're looking for something that you can just always pick up and you know it'll always be there I mean there's always going to be a Superman going yeah. there's always going to be a Batman like there will always be those comics there will always be Archie yeah. um, <laughs> even if they did the Archie reboot and now there's a Jughead reboot a Betty and Veronica and a Reggie reboot mm-hmm. I don't know that there's ever been a Reggie comic <laughs> but but there is now which Yay. is great um, and so it's like those will always be there, but if you're looking for something that is more comparable to a novel, something that's more standalone, something that you can read and it's got a beginning, middle, end, story arcs, character development, mm-hmm. his are his are really, really good places to start for you. Yeah, I would definitely agree. Um, you don't have to worry about getting jumping in the middle or the end of something and being confused about the 60 years of history before Exactly. It. You don't have to be like, who am I missing? What do I know? It's just going to be... Usually 10 volumes. I'm pretty sure he likes to do things in 10 volumes. So 10 volumes for Why the Last Man, 10 volumes for Saga, probably 10 volumes for Paper Girls, and then you're kind of done. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to worry about, like, making this a part of your life. Exactly. You can make Brian K. Vaughn a part of your life, which is a great idea. You should. Yes. (laughs) But you don't have to base everything around the next 30 years of Paper Girls. Right. I think that comics, I think that a lot of people might be interesting comics, but they're really intimidating to get into. And I can remember being intimidated at first when I was a kid. Like, mm-hmm. I thought comics were really cool, and I'd always read Archie comics and Sabrina and things like that when I was a little kid. Um, but actually, like, going into a comic shop and navigating uh, just decades upon decades of content, and you have really have no idea where to start. Mm-hmm. Um, these are a really good entry point for that. Um and, and, I mean, they're just great. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, you just listen to Cindy and I talk about them for, like, 45 <laughs> minutes and just gush about how wonderful they are and how beautiful and the stories are so good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really just can't recommend them enough as a good starting point for anyone who's interested. Like I said, not necessarily child-friendly, probably teen-friendly um, if you've got a mature teenager um, or if you are a mature teenager who yeah. is interested in giving them a try. Um, but they they can definitely get gory. There are adult mm-hmm. themes in them. Um, but that's another thing that I think a lot of people might be put off by comics. They think comics are for kids. Um, yeah. And that's mm-hmm. not the case no. <laughs> at all, especially with these. Yeah, even superhero comics aren't necessarily for kids. It's true. Um, there are definitely arcs that are not kid-friendly. Um, But these really are for the more mature comic reader. Um, If you want to read comics, but you don't want to feel immature, read a Brian K. Vaughn one. They are basically just novels in graphic form. Exactly. Graphic novels. It's it's a novel that you get to look at beautiful illustrations while you read. Um, They're... 
I feel like a lot of times, sometimes comics can get distracting or difficult to read if there's a lot of dialogue, if there's tons of different, like, thought bubbles and speech bubbles, and you have to kind of, like, figure out where you are on the page. His, I feel, are always pretty nicely laid out. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think that they're very difficult to read. Um, And I've read read a lot of comics. Sometimes comics can be difficult to read. There can be a lot of speech bubbles and things going on. Um, His dialogue is pretty minimal a lot of the time, Mm -hmm. um, which is kind of nice. Why the Last Man is a bit dialogue heavy. That's true. That's yeah, true. Saga like, and Paper Girls are not. Yeah. But yeah. He, why? He really figure out how to extend the pages on his later ones. Mm-hmm. But the first one's kind of dialogue heavy. Not that That's you true. shouldn't read it. Yeah. But it yeah. is older. Yeah. I think Why the Last Man was two thousand two. I think is when it came out. Two. Somewhere around yeah. there. Um, so yeah, I mean, and that's another thing is you can really watch him grow um, mm-hmm. as as a writer, and I mean that the the same goes I think for novelists as well. Yeah. If you if you read like one novel and then like the novel that the person wrote ten years later, for example, you're going to notice growth there. You're going to see them trying different things, um, and it's so fun to watch him do that. In addition to being illustrated by different illustrators, so it's always a different kind of feel that his work has, while still maintaining that same voice mm-hmm. that he typically uses. Um, so yeah, is there anything else that you would like to mention about Brian K. Vaughn or Paper Girls or Saga or why, Cindy? I just can't recommend enough that you try a Brian K. Vaughn novel. Like, really, just pick up any of them. They're really, really great. And I would also recommend, when you read them, when I read comics, the first time I read it through, it's very, very fast. Because mm-hmm. I want to know the story, I want to know what's happening. But then I'll reread it, and I'll actually pay attention to the art, and I think that's a really good thing for people to do because there is so much going around in the background of every single panel of all of his works. He really does collaborate with amazing people. It's Fiona Staples for Saga. Mm-hmm. It's Cliff Chiang in Paper Girls. I cannot remember who it is for Why the Last Man. It, but his, the name escapes me. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's still a really talented artist. Exactly. Um, and I would also look at the colors because sometimes... Colors can teach us about foreshadowing. Um, the great part about comics is that you can use the pictures as literary devices. They are the foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. They do tell you who is part of an archetype. They do tell you who is the good person, who is the bad person. So the pictures aren't just like cool things that you know kids watch. They're part of the literary tradition. Mm-hmm. And if you're just going to read a comic for the dialogue, you're going to miss a lot. So I would definitely recommend read it as a full experience and be prepared to either slow down or read it a couple times to really experience it. That's such good advice. The pictures really do do a lot of heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's an experience reading a graphic novel mm-hmm. and especially reading one of his, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, guys, I think that's going to just about wrap it up for this episode of Checked Out. Um, Please keep your eyes open. We do have a very special podcast coming out for Christmas and for the holiday season in December. Um, So be on the lookout for that. And we will see you next time. Thanks, Cindy.